Well, hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here, and welcome to the Redeemed and Restored podcast. We're all be coming to you every Friday so that together we can intentionally discover the faithfulness of God, which is my absolute favorite thing to do. Every week, I'll bring you encouragement to see God working all things together for good. From scriptures to devotional excerpts to song lyrics to personal examples from my journey through redemption and restoration. Joining this community on a regular basis, where it's okay to be real and throw off our masks of perfection, will not only encourage you, but will motivate and stir your hearts and just possibly leave you forever changed. In times like this, we all need to be encouraged as we face the challenges, difficulties, and losses of this life. So I look forward to growing right along with you in authenticity and transparency as we endeavor to find the faithfulness of God in our everyday lives. So take a moment to write a review on Apple so even more people are able to find the encouragement you're about to hear. Each episode is broadcast on my YouTube channel before it's converted and brought to you in this audio format. If you'd like to get in on the fun and giveaways at my YouTube home, join me over there at Athena Dean Holtz for even more encouragement. So, hey, let's get started. Well, hey, everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here with this week's edition of Redeemed and Restored. And oh, my goodness, you are going to be blown away by this conversation that I had with Rachel Bruno. She is a wife to her husband of 19 years, mom of two boys, has a master's degree in business administration, and co-founded a successful cybersecurity company with her husband. Things drastically changed for them during the summer of 2015, shortly after the birth of her second child. And let me just say right now, you're going to hear an incredible story of governmental abuse through CPS, which is Child Protective Services, and God's miraculous redemption and restoration. You will not want to miss this conversation. Rachel is now an author and public speaker. Uh, Her focus is to educate families while being a voice for those victimized by the unconstitutional vices of family court and CPS. Through the pain of her experience, she came to the realization that her calling is to fiercely and fearlessly proclaim the role of women in the family and the gift that comes with it. So let's get this started. Well, Rachel Bruno, it is a delight to have you on the Redeemed and Restored YouTube broadcast and uh, audio podcast as well. Thank you so much for being with us today. It is just, I'm so excited to share your story with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. (laughs) Absolutely. And when you told me your story, when we met at NRB, National Religious Broadcasters, I was absolutely jaw-dropping, blown away at how God just showed up and showed off in such a difficult situation. So 
this is just one of those stories. Um, those of you who are tuned in today, this is one of those stories that just shows the power of God at work, even when things are going very, very wrong. So Rachel, I would just love for you, I'm just going to give you the digital stage and tell us what happened and then how God redeemed and restored. Alrighty. So I woke up on July 8th at 4 a.m. with my seven-week-old son screaming. And at this point, he had been watched by a nanny overnight because I have seizures, I have epilepsy, and one of my main triggers is sleep deprivation or interrupted sleep. So if you have a newborn baby, you ain't sleeping. <laughs> so I had the nanny watch him. And when he was seven weeks old, I woke up to him screaming. And, you know, I figured four o'clock in the morning, she's feeding him or changing his diaper. Tried to go back to sleep. He was not having it. He was screaming and crying. And so I got up. I went into the room next door. She showed me an empty bottle. And she said, I just fed him. He's really gassy. I said, yeah, okay, fair enough. Babies get gassy. At this point, I'm home alone. My husband is out of state on a business trip. I have my 20-month-old son who's sleeping directly across the hallway, and I have a seven-week-old screaming baby. So I tell her, you know, he's obviously not settling down. Why don't you just go home and I'll take it from here? I unswaddled him, looked for any rashes, anything that was leaking, you know, anything that you could think of when caring for a newborn. No signs of anything. I gave him skin to skin and he fell asleep on me. I'm like, okay, no, you just wanted your mommy. Wakes up again three hours later, would not nurse, would not latch, would not, I could not put the kid down, just crying all the time and screaming. And I know Dr. Google to the rescue, like nursing strike, colic, what is wrong with this kid? And basically all of the above, right? <laughs> so six hours later, I take him to the emergency room after speaking to the pediatrician and telling the symptoms. Like, yeah, I won't be able to see you soon enough, so take him to the emergency room. So I go with my mom, with my 20-month-old son, everybody in tow. And if you know, babies love to sleep in the car. On our way there, he falls asleep, stops crying. I'm like, great, you know, overreactive mom going here to the emergency room. But we get there, tell the receptionist what's going on, all the symptoms. The nurse comes in, takes his vitals. Everything seems fine. He's sleeping at this point or seems to be sleeping at this point. The doctor does come in right away, tells me to lay him down, and then walks away and stops right at the doorway. And he is just laser focused on my son, just staring at my son, doesn't say a word for like 30 seconds. Everybody in that room is quiet. I'm like, this is weird. And I'm just quiet and observing as well. Then he steps towards the bed and he goes straight to my son's head right behind his left ear. And he says, did you feel this? I said, no. So he grabs my fingers. He puts my hand there. Like, do you feel that bulge? Like, yeah. Says, that's fluid. That's leaking from your son's brain. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Like, it could be spinal cerebral fluid. It can be blood. We need to go do CT scan right now to see what's going on. And as soon as he says that, about 10 people rush into that room. They start putting probes on my son, wires everywhere. They raise up those rails and they bolt down the hallway to that CT room. And as we're running, his right arm starts twitching. Then the nurses really run. And I look at the nurse, I'm like, is this normal? She's like, no. And then I remembered I have seizures, left side of the brain, right arm twitching. He's having a seizure. First thing that comes to my mind is, oh my God, I gave it to him, right? It's hereditary. I say a little prayer right there. I'm like, Lord, please spare my son from having to live with this like I did. 
get to the CT room, go to the waiting room, results come back, and the doctors tell me to go in the back room where all the monitors are. And they say, Ms. Bruno, this is very serious. I'm like, okay. Like, your son has a cranial fracture, and the fluid that's leaking is blood. The brain hates blood. We need to go do emergency surgery right now. He starts giving me the liabilities. Are you against blood transfusions? Are you against this? I'm like, I don't care what you have to do to save my son. Save my son. And off they go, wheeling off my seven-week-old baby into the operating room. Mm. And at this point, I am in shock. I am in complete shock. I went from gassy baby to now my son is in some life-threatening operating room. My mom is there with me. My husband is out of state, has no idea what's going on. We just start texting people, like everybody start praying. My son is going into surgery for his brain is bleeding. I have no idea what the heck is going on. Four hours go by, right, for the surgery. Doctor comes back and he tells me, you know, everything went well clinically as far as we're concerned. We were able to drain the blood. We were able to fix the fracture. I'm like, okay, good. Is he going to be okay? Is he going to be brain damaged? And the doctor tells me we really don't know. You know, due to his young age, we don't even know whether he's going to survive the next 48 hours. He's in a medically induced coma right now because he was having about 15 seizures an hour. And we're trying to control that. So he's being monitored, heavily monitored, but he's stable. I will take you upstairs to go see him. So I walk into that room, you know, and if you've ever been in any kind of intensive care unit, and especially a pediatric one, the hallways, cold, everybody's like in these glass cages. And I see my baby there seemingly lifeless, right? Has gauze wrapped all around his head has probes and tubes coming out of every orifice you can imagine, the machines beeping. And I just grabbed his little hand, you know, and I prayed and I said, God, I don't care if I have to dedicate the rest of my son, the rest of my life to taking care of my son. Just don't take him away from me. And at that point, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, he's mine. I gave him to you. Nobody's going to take him away from you. And I took a breath. I said, you're right, Lord. He is yours. I surrender my son's life to you. He's in your hands and there's no better place for him to be than in your hands. The peace that surpasses all understanding at that point filled my heart, filled that room. I went into logistics mode at that point. You know, my mom was there. My 20 month old son was there. I wasn't going to leave the hospital. I called my friend. Can you please take my mom and my son go spend the night at grandma's house? Everything is organized in that sense. And then next thing I hear a knock on the door and it's a man in a uniform, in a police uniform and a woman with a clipboard. And then he slides the door open. He says, "Miss Bruno, can we speak to you? I said, yes. Said, like what happened to your son was worse than getting struck in the head by a bullet. Like, okay. Like, will you help us? Like, we want to help you figure out how this happened to your son. So in my mind, okay, you asking me for help, you know, it wasn't me, right? And a bullet to the head. I mean, to me, that insinuation is like you insinuating somebody was trying to kill my son. So, you know, I sit down with him. I tell them all the information from four o'clock in the morning. He starts probing me a little bit. You know, why did you take so long to bring him to the hospital? I'm like, because I didn't know what was wrong with him, right? She told me he was gassy. Why didn't you call 911? because I thought he was gassy. And the social worker asked me, do you have any other children? Like, I do. Where are they? What are their ages? He's at my mom's house. Is it okay if we go see him? I'm like, again, thinking I'm cooperating. I have nothing to hide. And yeah, I mean, he's probably asleep by now. 
And she says, we're not going to wake him. We just want to make sure he's okay. So I said, okay, go ahead, call my mom. She leaves. My husband arrives a few hours later, straight from the airport to the hospital. Police officer takes him to another room and asks me to go to another room to wait for the detectives. The detectives interview me until two o'clock in the morning. Now, mind you, I'd been up since four o'clock. It's now two o'clock, so basically 24 hours awake. And I tell them, you know, I'm really tired. I need to get some sleep. We can continue this on. They let me go. I wake up the next morning and, or that same morning, my husband is just staring at me, blank look on his face. I look at the baby, like he's there, he's alive. What happened? And he tells me they took David. David is my 20 month old son. I mean, what do you mean they took David? Where, who? The social worker and police officer showed up at your mom's house at two o'clock in the morning and they took him. I'm like, they lied to me, right? They said they were there to help me, that she was just going to see if he was okay. And that's not what happened. I call my mom and she tells me they showed up at two o'clock in the morning and that they walk in, check the refrigerator for food, you know, go in and ask where my son is. The social worker turns on the light, immediately wakes him up and tells my mom we're taking him. And my mom's like, no, you're not. And like, if you don't give him to us, you're going to arrest you. And the police officers are all there. They don't say anything. My mom has no idea what to do. My dad is calling lawyers at two o'clock in the morning. Of course, nobody's answering. And she says, if I go to jail, do I take him with me? And she says, no, he's going to go to foster care. And you're not going to be able to care for him because you're going to have a criminal record. So at that point, my mom gives my son to the social worker. They drive off into the middle of the night. And here we are, my husband and I at the hospital. My son, my baby son, still in the medically induced coma. We don't know where my 20-month-old son is. They're not answering their phone. I start calling lawyers. I finally get one. And he tells me, you're not getting your kids back. I'm like, what are you talking about? They can't just come take my kids. He's like, yeah, they can. I'm like, what happened to innocent until proven guilty? What happened to our constitution? What about the nanny? And he says, they may, they may investigate or they may not, but this is family court. They don't follow constitutional law. What? Yeah. And I'm like, what other law is there? <laughs> and he said, they can do whatever they deem is in the best interest of the child. Wow. And I'm like, but like, you know, I start ranting to him and he just cuts me off and he's like, listen to me. What happened to your son is criminal. You are facing 15 years in jail and a hundred thousand dollar bail if they decide to charge you. If I go into that courtroom and I ask the judge to give these children back to you, Social services is going to pull up this criminal investigation right here, is going to show it to the judge, is going to tell the judge he's putting the children at risk by giving them back to you. And if that happens, they're going to go to foster care. They can be legally adopted by the foster family if the case lasts longer than six months. And they will make it last longer than six months. I'm like, jail, bail, adoption. I'm like, what? <laughs> what just happened? What country am I living in? Wow. And he says, your saving grace is that your husband was out of town when this happened. So we're going to ask the judge to give sole custody to your husband. That way they don't even risk going in foster care. But if the judge grants that, they're going to kick you out of the house. So what choice did I have? Right. I go three days later. They call it the emergency hearing. We go into that courtroom and everybody's praying and everybody's praying. I have 23 character letters. You know, I have witnesses come with me. I have we're prepared for battle, right? I'm like, God, you are not gonna let this happen. This is not gonna happen. And we walk into that courtroom and I'm thinking it's gonna be at least like Judge Judy, 
right? You ask this side, you ask this side. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I get there, the nanny is not there, the social worker is not there, the police isn't there, the detectives aren't there. Nobody is on trial in that courtroom but me. Wow. And the judge never asked me what happened. The only time I hear my name, Miss Bruno, any objections? Like what? What? <laughs> like any objections for the children going to their father? Like, no. Mr. Bruno, any objections? No. Okay, Miss Bruno, children will be placed with their father. You have 24 hours to vacate your home. You are court ordered to take child abuse classes, parenting classes, and individual counseling. And a caseworker will be contacting you regarding visitation. Whoa. Court is adjourned. And I mean, within 10 minutes, my whole life was just ripped from underneath me, right? I go into that hallway with my mom. We're both bawling. My attorney is like, I told you this was going to happen. I'm like, I know, but I, I don't believe this is happening. <laughs> so I, I'm like, where am I supposed to go? Where do I live? He's like, well, as long as you're in the hospital, they can't kick you out. It's a monitored facility. As long as your son is there, you can go there. So I'm at the hospital. My mom goes to church, asks the pastor's wife to come pray for me and to pray for my son. She comes to the hospital. She prays for my son. And then she looks at me. I've been praying. And God told me you're coming home with me. Wow. Yes. So I knew these people and I've been going to this church for about six years. But, you know, high by relationship when you see on Sundays, she basically invited a stranger to her house. Mm. And God couldn't have sent me a better friend at that point in time. You know, she prayed with me. She laughed with me. She cried with me. She encouraged me. And it was 40 days and 40 nights that they kicked me out of the house. Wow. I was given seven hours of monitored visitation with both my sons during those 40 days. And on the 40th day, my attorney tells me, you know, don't even bother coming today. The criminal investigation is still open. The status of your investigation hasn't changed. Don't waste your time. I won't waste mine. I tell my husband and he says, I don't care what he says. We're going. So we go to that courthouse. And at this point, you know, my family's in Brazil. I'm originally from Brazil. The church in Brazil had been fasting for those 40 days. They had a congregation of about 5,000 people stand up one day and the pastor said, everybody point your hands to the North, to North America, and we are gonna pray for this family. Mm. And on that day, the 40th day, I go to the courthouse. I wait for about three hours. My attorney calls me, where are you? I'm at the courthouse. Okay, I'm on my way, might be able to do something. Hangs up on me. Start texting everybody, start praying. <laughs> Something yeah. happened. <laughs> so he comes in, he goes into the, the room, comes back with a stack of papers, sign this, initial this, sign this. Like, I have no idea what I'm signing, what I'm initialing. I'm just trusting God at this point. He comes back 700 pages. He says, if you're willing to sign this document the way it's written, there's nothing in here admitting guilt. There's nothing in here saying that you did this. It's just the social worker's narrative, the police reports, the medical records, the services that you've been doing. They will let you go home today. Now, at that point, if they told me to cut my leg off, I would have done it. All right. <laughs> so I signed those papers and my lawyer told me, like, I've been doing this for 23 years and I have never seen them let anybody go home before trial. You definitely have higher power working for you. Yeah, I do. <laughs> wow. So I went home that day, you know, back with my boys, with my family. The case remained open for six months where the social worker would visit our house. And at the end of the six months, it was her recommendation that the case be closed. 
one year later, we sued them. We sued the county, we sued the sheriffs, we sued social services, we sued the hospital, and we won $1.49 million in December of 2018. And it was just a whirlwind, right? Just everything that I learned from the system to God, you know, God was there all the time. And being raised in church, I always heard the Bible verses. I always heard his grace is enough. Romans 8, 28, you know, all those things you hear growing up. Right. But you're always like, but is it really? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you know, God had to bring me to my knees, like, you know, take everything away from me, take away my children, my house, my husband. Wow. But I still had Jesus. Right. And that's all I needed was Jesus. And there, that's it. <laughs> wow. I mean, that is just such a great example of, you know, we, you, it was beyond your control. There was nothing you could do. Yep. <laughs> and so people pray and God moves. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yep. And, you know, for the audience, my son, the seven week old baby who didn't know whether they were going to survive, whether he was going to have brain damage. He is now six years old. He's in first grade. He's reading, he's writing, he's jumping. He's completely normal by the grace of God. You know, my 20 month old son who was, you know, seized in the middle of the night. He is also doing well. Thank God. You know, God restored everything that the locusts tried to destroy. Wow. And now this is in a book. Yeah. <laughs> print. Uh, is it ebook, print book, and audio book? Or it is ebook and print. Okay. It's available on Amazon. Okay. It is called Fractured Hope, A Mother's Fight for Justice. Mm. And that is a real picture of me at the hospital. The first time I held him after surgery. Wow. So if people are listening today and they want to connect with you online on social media. Where's the best place for them to do that? My website is www.rachelbruno.com. I am on Instagram at Rachel Bruno Speaks. I am on Facebook at Rachel Bruno Speaks. And you can get in touch with me any one of those places. Wonderful. Well, let me just say that is such an encouraging story. Do you just in closing just have a scripture that you would want to share with those who are listening? Because this is a very uh, hopeful. It, it is fills us with hope that, you know, even in the most dire, even with the government and the, you know, just everything against you, yes. how God can deliver. So I would love for you to just kind of share a closing thought with our listeners to encourage them. Yeah. I don't have a Bible verse, but I do have a song. There was a song that played every day in the car as I would go visit my son in the hospital. And one day I checked, is this thing broken right on repeat? It wasn't. So I just decided to listen to the song and it's called All I Once Held Dear, sung by Joseph Garlington. And the words say, all I once held dear, built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I now count as loss compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Wow. Yes. I could see that on repeat. God just used not only, I mean, he used this story to just show up and show off and yes. show 
the glorious and might of his power, right. he also used it to draw you to himself Absolutely. in a deeper way. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me just say it has been a delight to have you share this story with us. I'm just so excited for those who need to be encouraged to um, hear this story and buy your book and just um, press in even when things go so bad and you can't imagine them going any worse. Right. Our so eternal I'm hope is in Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Still on the throne and yes. that relationship with him is the most important thing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Rachel, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you, Athena. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So thanks for joining us today on the Redeemed and Restored podcast brought to you by Athena Dean Holtz and the Romans 828 Bookstore, a division of Redemption Press. I'd love to have you review and share this podcast with friends, family, and others who can use the encouragement. And be sure to check out my YouTube channel at Athena Dean Holtz for more tips and tools to help you find the faithfulness of God. So thanks for joining us today. See you next week for another episode of Redeemed and Restored.